1: Hunter Podcast. Never pass on shooter bucks if that's just meat in the freezer. It's your tag, you hunt how you want. This is OK's Hunter.
0: What's going on everybody welcome back to the okay Hunter podcast if you're new thanks for joining there will be no calls today because this is a pre-recorded episode that is airing live so um, i'm assuming that a number of folks that are watching live are going to start commenting saying hi what's going on and then they're eventually going to do a face palm and go oh he's not responding because this isn't really <laughs> happening real time um but i with the travel i have going on for the last two weeks of this month i wanted to make sure we're still putting out good content for everybody and get some episodes out so I thought it'd be really cool to reach out to our newest member of our podcast network zach hansen and bring him on to talk about that podcast and uh, what he's doing with his life and and trapping which is a topic i think we have only had one guest on in the past to talk about trapping and it was a really cool episode um so there's been a number of folks that have asked over the years like are you ever gonna do a trapping episode can you do a trapping podcast so here we are we have one we have a host um super intelligent dude i think zach you are you're a very accomplished man uh that has done incredible things i'm only like a quarter of the way through your book that you sent me because three kids and i'm like i have these big ambitions to read the book when i lay in bed and then i don't get to my bed because i pass out in my kid's bed and i'm like damn it i wanted to read that and then just yeah a couple nights a week every now and again chip away at it but thanks for joining i'll I'll stop
1: talking welcome to the show man i appreciate it and you know I am very thankful that you said you're falling asleep in your kid's bed and it's not the matter of you reading my book that is causing you to fall asleep and not get any further.
0: <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's a good clarification point. It, it isn't. It's actually really uh, interesting. And I'm I'm mostly like, I feel, I don't want to say I feel obligated, but I really want to read it because I really want to understand more about this lifestyle that you've chosen to live. Like all the memes that, li- that live on the internet of like, there's a picture of a cabin. I'd I'd rather live here than the city. Or like, I wish I just go live in the mountains. And I hate people. And da 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 da. I'm not saying you hate people, but like, kind of did a lot of what those memes say. Like,
1: yeah, I did. But the the undertone of what those memes don't convey is how hard it is to do it, and all the mistakes and you know bumbling and fumbling that you do. Once you're out there. And I think that's what the book actually conveys is just going from a corporate lifestyle, not having hunting experience, not having trapping experience to kind of uprooting yourself and going to the most remote livable community in the lower 48, and then just screwing it the whole way and kind of being open and honest about the experience.
0: Yeah. You're like the opposite of a true mountain man, but you're, you're on your journey to becoming one and. I don't know. We 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 love to say failure is one of our fa- is our our best teachers. It, it is. We that's why we emphasize failure with our brand because you can learn from experts, but you can also learn by doing things the hard way. Um, yeah. And you'll 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 be less likely to forget what you learned the hard way if that's how you learned it. And uh, I think you're opening. I don't know if it's the intro or the I forget what it's called in a book, but it basically opened up with your first ever trapping experience. And it took me a second to realize what had happened when I was reading it. I was like, oh shit. He had a I'm not I don't I don't want to say it just now we can kind of lead into it, but like you had a huge problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. And those huge problems are very frequent. They're they're becoming more manageable now, but with less experience, some of those situations you can find yourself in are you know overwhelming at the time. And that's exactly how the book kind of opens up a little bit.
0: Well, the beauty of it is like in the in the moment where like the pain is clenching down and you're dealing with the situation, you thought to yourself, you stood around for a second, oh my god, you smirked because you're like, I'm doing it. This is the life that I was trying to live. I have some of those moments every now and again too. And it's more like around like what I'm doing in this room right now. Like, oh my God, I'm if if I could talk to me 10 years ago, I can't imagine that I would be here. You know, so it's always good to stop and appreciate things, even in moments of extreme pain.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Extreme pain or nausea or you know uncertainty, right? I think that's everybody. And I think this is one of the, I was actually writing about this this morning, like the pros and cons of social media. And you know, we're all subjected to seeing lives that we might want to live, right? Whether that's, you see somebody with a monster buck on the ground and, you know, with a grip and grin, or you see somebody living the rural lifestyle with chickens and goats and stuff, and you idealize it. And then you're in the moment, like Sometimes it hurts or sometimes it's way different. But if you still take the time to stop and think critically to say, oh, wow, I'm doing it, it's not what I expected. It might not be what social media or, you know, a book I read was painting it to be, but I'm here and I'm doing it and that's all we can ask for.
0: Yeah, I think we can romanticize about things and things can look very romantic. And there is a there's a constant expectation versus reality. And that expectation may even be in your own head and not on social media. And then you get to it. Like my wife being a stay at home mom, I want to be a stay at home mom. And then, you know, six years later, she's like, I don't have an identity anymore. Like this isn't what it's just things. It's just crazy how that continues to happen throughout life and all the different seasons and things that you do. You get to the career that you're thinking, you're like, oh, this is it. I'm finally living that life. And it's like, well, it's different when you're in it versus looking upon it like. Good point. I, I I don't know. I like where this is kind of going. I think um, I'm struggling to determine where I want to start or where we should start if it's go down the OKS Trapper podcast, or should we start with the book? Because that kind of is maybe what led to the podcast.
1: I'm game for either way. I mean, we're, we're talking about the book. We can make it short too. I think most people who might be listening, the long story made very short is I was in a corporate career. I've been in artificial intelligence for 12 years now white picket fence um you know was going after all the trappings that I was told as a millennial to go after it's like get a college education take on that debt you're gonna get a job which didn't really happen right away eventually bully my way into a, a machine learning AI role I'm on a plane all the time I'm jet setting I've got my platinum status I'm flying first class going to these different clients going to different off-sites and I hated it it was not on the surface i was expressing that i loved it i was proud i'm like this is what i i set out to achieve and i'm achieving it but deep down there was always this latent frustration and i couldn't put a pin on it um and my ex-wife and i who was an fbi special agent you know we were always into fitness so that was our one outlet you know i've always done jujitsu i was a wrestler and you know we focused on all of that and what started to eke me into kind of the outdoor world was food and it sounds kind of hokey and a lot of people might like roll their eyes but we were the people who were counting macros which is also extremely miserable um, and not something we do anymore but you know i was trying to figure out where my food came from so we were getting down to the nitty-gritty of where's our meat come from blah 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 and my ex-wife's father was a hunter they lived in middle tennessee straight in decent big white tailed buck country and he gave us meat and i was like well this is awesome it was healthy it was leaner and then i started saying well how can i do it myself and that's kind of what opened the door pandora's box so to speak even while i was still living in that white picket fence life um to go down that path and the book, the book is just my chronicling of essentially going through an unexpected divorce tripping myself out from that lifestyle immediately and moving to a cabin in the most remote place in the lower 48 that's a livable community and just going all in on hunting and trapping
0: and the book is turning feral for i don't know if i said it yet or not um and it's riveting how you started and i'm excited to see where it goes and i'm curious about a lot of it too and uh i mean you you just shared an article on TechCrunch that you had published a number of years ago back onto linkedin i'm like you can just get into tech crunch and just get into these, these jet setting lives. Like it's really fascinating because the higher you fall or the higher you climb, the, 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 bigger, the fall or the bigger, the tree. whatever the hell the saying is my God, it's morning time. Don't talk to me in the morning, apparently. But, um, it must've been even harder for you to, to rip out of that. life. you said rip out of the lifestyle. Like you've probably had to just like, I don't even know how you picked a place to move, to find a place to live. Like I can't even think through, there's probably a lot of mechanics and logistics that went into that, that made it feel like yeah. a cold plunge to some degree, like just jump in. Is that just your nature? Is that how you are? Like,
1: yeah, I think part of it is nature. I mean, I've always, if I've seen some, well, let me put it this way. I have very influential figures in my life, which are my grandparents. Um, I'm very lucky in that way. Both are still alive into their 90s right now so hopefully that longevity kind of sticks around and gets yeah. passed yeah. down but my grandfather always said if you want to learn something read a book so he he fostered his love of book and reading and just exploring and he made a promise to me when i was young maybe 10 11 he said if you ever want like i'm not going to give you handouts for anything but if you ever want a book to learn something new whether it's welding whether it's hunting, whether it's wrestling, I'll buy you the book. And he stuck to his word and I took advantage of it. I'm like, I want to explore this. So did he kind buy of all your college this. books? <laughs> yeah. Well, sadly he did not do that. I had to have two jobs to pay for those, yeah. but, um, you know, any kind of outside of education yeah. book he would do. And that just led me down a path of not really being afraid to explore new things. So like in high school, I'd been a swimmer my whole life athletically. And I got my ass kicked in high school over a girl my freshman year. And I was against a wrestler and he just whooped my butt and I had absolutely no recourse. So after that, I'm like, well, I want to learn to wrestle. So I actually became friends with a guy who whooped my butt and he's like, well, come out to wrestling, dude. And, you know, I just dove right in. So it was just kind of this constant lack of fear and you build up. When you practice just jumping into things, it becomes less burdensome, less scary. Yeah, you almost like
0: build a muscle for it or something.
1: Yep. And so by the time I was almost 30, when this happened, you know, I'd had that muscle, whether it was jumping into a new career in artificial intelligence without a technical background, whether it was trying to build a company and failing and then building another company and being successful. Like it was just this repetition of saying, you know what? A little bit of an effort gene, I guess. It's like, well, we're going to find out. And, you know, it all culminated to that moment where I had the courage. I had the resources at that time to kind of go all in.
0: That's cool. I mean, the fact that you were able to do it. So you're in Idaho. Is that
1: right? Yep. Atlanta, Idaho. So for those who Google it, it is at the end of a 70 mile dirt road. That's either avalanche or rock slid in a lot of the year. You know, there's 38 year round residents. There's no grocery store, no gas station. And we live right at the base of the southern end of the Sawtooth Wilderness, and it's pretty flipping awesome.
0: Cool. There's a song by the band Camp C-A-A-M-P. I'll meet you somewhere in Idaho. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of that song, I was like, let's look at Idaho.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I have these romantic ideas of doing something like not, you know, packing up and moving our kids. And, and I don't know, maybe it'll happen. Like if any of the companies I have ever uh, tip a certain scale, like decisions will be made. <laughs> Just yeah, you know we'll see what that looks like. but it it is really interesting because it's it's something that we as outdoorsmen uh, and women think about often. and some some get to participate in certain ways. like you know I get to I get to do travel for work that takes me to some cool places and doing some cool things. And uh, you know, there's we put out an episode two weeks ago, like hunters kill for content, but I have to do a lot of content shoots and it's fishing or it's hunting this or product that. So it's not like we're killing for content per se. Um, but it is pretty neat that that's kind of what I get to do for my job and the, and, the, and what I'm doing here and, um, get to go. I'm invited to go really cool places. I've met really cool people. I think I probably know someone in every state that I, if I could probably call me like, Hey, I, I'm in town. Like, do you want to grab a drink? Do you want to go on a hunt? Do you want to, can I crash on your couch? Like I think that would all be pretty permissible at this point. Um yep. you know, and if I'm ever in Idaho, guess what? I'm, I got your cell phone number. Like guess who I'm calling, yep. you know, and, and uh, we
1: got space at the cabin and we got hot. High- hot springs and we got every game animal you could ever want to chase right back door. It's
0: it's awesome. So I guess when I was reading your book, you, you started with like, you know, let's find out where our food came from. That led you down to going to an archery shop. You started shooting your boat with your friend in your backyard. Your wives are making fun of you kind of but like you did good. And then you eventually went on a, a hog hunt. Then you went on a whitetail hunt. Um and so I haven't gotten far enough to know we need to spell the whole book out necessarily but how it went from all that to like trapping is the most there's the most woodsmanship involved in trapping. It's like a forgotten art. And that's why I think it's so attractive for a listener base or, you a, a, know, door community to listen to because it's this time that has trapping is taking you back in time. It's like, let's get in our DeLorean and listen how to trap. And if you yep. can get an animal's foot in a trap, like the skill that's required to do that, of all the places this thing can walk in the vast forest of this country. You have to pay attention to things that a lot of hunters don't pay attention to at all. And I've joked with Derek, one of our co hosts on this, because he'll look at a branch bent a certain way at a certain height and go, Ooh, that was a big buck that made that because that's a wide rack that wouldn't normally fit through this. It's going that direction. And like, boom, he was on a huge buck because he was. Pe- I'm like, I never would have even seen that. I would be a terrible trapper
1: like (laughs) no you wouldn't maybe at first and i think that's what's so interesting so to, to answer your first question the trajectory yeah i started out with archery hunting big game and that's kind of what led me out to idaho but the reason i got into trapping was opportunity right i'm living in an area where you can trap there's a lot of fur bearing animals to trap but in that promise from my granddad to buy a book for anything I was ever curious about. I got a lot of mountain man Westerns as a kid. Um, and I'm a history dork, right? You know, I'm not technical from a undergraduate degree perspective. It was like history and political science. And I loved the West. I didn't spend any time out West, but I loved the idea of that manifest destiny of just these intrepid men and women saying, you know, we're going out West. Why are we going out there? well there's demand for beaver for their fur for hats in europe and there is the castor glands to make perfumes food additives all that stuff it is the animal that founded america in my view and when i got out there and i started realizing okay well there's problem beaver there are you know other animals i can go after i'm like i should try this i always read about you know people with traps over their shoulder, I love Jeremiah Johnson, like, I have to try it. And that's, that's all it really boiled down to was I had the opportunity. And I was like, let me do this. And I did, I found some mentors, I went to the trapping courses, I joined my local association. And, you know, then I just learned the hard way. And the problem is, it's very difficult. And you articulated it beautifully in a similar way that I do, which is most people are not exposed to trapping, maybe, especially um, canine trapping and others, is that it's an indiscriminate practice, right? There's no skill involved. It is, you set a trap out there with teeth, which, by the way, is legal, and you just wait for some poor critter to step into it, and you know, it's luck. But you said it takes an immense amount of skill and focus and observation to get a canine think about it, who are actually very, very smart animals, smarter than me, to step on a six inch by six inch square piece of metal and thousands and thousands of acres of public land. Um, It's dang near impossible in a lot of instances. So that's kind of the journey and the trajectory of why and how I started out trapping. And I think you articulated the the difficulty very well.
0: Yeah, there's got to be like... so the the types of traps the 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 species that you trap the laws and regulation that go into what you do when you trap these animals are you do you have to dispatch or do you have to call the DNR for, there's i think about like how hunt how the fact that I'm in hunting and I bow hunt and I you know I'm mobile hunting all this stuff like and it just go from here to there like mm-hmm. you had to go through the journey to get there and to absorb all of this information that starts to compound over the years like you almost have to have the 101 courses to get to the 102 and the 103 do you and me and with hunting and trapping and outdoors you might be learning a 103 not even realizing it like you might mm-hmm. be learning something far more advanced that you're not even ready to like process yet um the all starts to fit in and work out and on the trapping side it seems i don't even know there used to be a trapping store in oconomowoc where i lived there was a store that sold traps and mm-hmm. he's since gone out of business that building was actually tore down um But I remember going in there thinking, like, I'm going to buy, like, a a bow or whatever. I'm looking for fishing stuff or whatever it was. I was like, what's all this other stuff in here? Like, they clearly had a relationship with Stormy Cromer. Like, there's a huge selection of Stormy Cromer stuff, like, um, and wool. So it was very, like, this older demographic that was participating in this activity. Um, Just really, really interesting to consider, like, how you enter into this and how you start to absorb, like, what do you need for what species, and so forth. And I hope you didn't—you um, might have froze. I'm not sure. It's that Idaho internet, I think that uh, might have just locked you up. It says hopefully you're we can see it. But yeah, it's okay. We'll just keep rolling.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Sorry, uh, sorry, folks. Maybe we can splice that out.
0: That's what happens <laughs> when you live out west. You know, this is part of the part of the journey, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, but you are talking about the traps and finding those in the store um, when I got cut out
0: yeah just like i don't know it it was anything like how do you approach it how do you like what was the first animal you want to trap was it a raccoon was it you know a a rabbit was it a beaver like what are the harder ones to trap you know you talk about canine like and what are you so let's just talk about the lifestyle like what what are you working to get on your trap line how often i'm to check it every day i imagine um and then what are you doing with these furs and and i see some stuff behind you there too so just generally curious about the whole kind of the lifestyle that lives within and around that I might've lost you again. Oh, there you are. You're back. Yeah, okay. It did. I have an idea if it happens again, I have a potential solution. I could just have you keep your video on mute your mic and call in call myself when I can hook it up to Bluetooth and we could have your audio come through that way. So let's just see so how we'll it goes. We'll
1: hope that it just, uh, rectifies itself. I'm going to blame the snowstorm that we have going on outside hitting us on the West coast.
0: We have one happening right now too. So maybe it's just the whole internet's just kind of like bogging down. I'm not sure. But anyway, just yeah, trying to understand the the whole the lifestyle that lives around it. Like how do you how do you approach it? What are the species? What do you do when you get it? What like you know, where where is the enjoyment for you? What part of it do you love the most? And all it's kind of I'm asking like 20 questions at once, which seems to be what I do. So I apologize.
1: I mean, for me it's the experience. So you mentioned a little bit about you know your friend who Notice one of wider racked bucks walking through an area, you know, and this kind of touches on why I'm very excited about the okay is trapper podcast is now I have an avenue, thanks to you and the okay is Hunter crew to poke some of the best trappers in the United States, people that I've looked up to and maybe have reached out to online, but now have a forum. And even last night, I was talking to one of our future guests and, you know, I asked him, he's a very prolific, big game hunter, but he's also a pretty dang good trapper. You know, I asked the question, does trapping make you a better hunter? And he's like, without a doubt, he's like yeah. the intimacy yeah. and the, the time spent tracking an animal. It might not even be the same species, but that time in the woods, which it does take more time is invaluable to just understanding patterns, understanding how animals think understanding to you know his degree, which was very interesting. And folks can listen into episode three of the OKS trapper when it comes out is understanding animals reactions to different irs and game trail cams and you know that level to kind of really get intimate is just what i love the most and the fact that you're stepping back in time i get to go play mountain man i get disconnected from my cell phone i'm trudging and dragging rusty traps through the woods and that experience is what i love the most i mean all the other elements of you know, learning how to put up fur, you know, taking care of the animal, selling the fur or tanning the fur, all of that's fantastic too. And really cool. But it's really just the fact that I get to play the person who is one foot back in the 1800s and one foot in the common time with probably an ankle up Jake Paul's butt, you know, it's just this weird dichotomy I get to play.
0: I think the being back in time part and and that I, I read, um, oh, what was it? I think it would have been 2020, 29, early 2020. I read Stillness is a Key by Ron Holiday. And that sent me on a whole, I'm still on that journey. And it's changed the trajectory of my life. Um, I should probably read that book again. And I got really obsessed with (laughs) Ego is the Enemy. And I probably read that eight times now or something stupid like that. But because it always needs so much damn work to keep it at bay. Uh, But The Stillness is a Key was like, I remember I went on a hike with my kids. Twice we go a lot. We go to this park that's nearby, and we, we hike different trails all the time. Like it's really fun, really big tract, and it's got a lot of diversity. But it's close, so like it can it can work really well when you have three kids. That one's got rainouts, and I, if it gets too cold, it turns into insane drama that boils up out of nowhere, and it's really hard to. It's terrible. I don't I don't have it, but like when my four year old gets it, he doesn't understand what's happening, and it gets ugly quick. So we have to take a lot of. Yeah, you know, hand warmers, and we, we we deal with it. But um, in any event, we're going on this hike, and he was, I think, two at the time. He's four now, so yeah, two ish years ago. And he's picking up like every single pine cone, and I'm like, "Let's go, let's go. We're we're on a hike. Let's move, buddy. Come on. We're trying." And I had like a destination in mind, but like for it was totally arbitrary. It had nothing to do with anything. Oh, there's this, something. Anyway, I, I was like. I wouldn't say I was frustrated, but I was, you know, like, come on, buddy, let's go. We got, you know, like, there's more to see. There's stuff to do. Let's go. Let's go. And then um, I must have read a chapter in Stillness is the Key within the next couple of days in between the next hike, and we go. And the next one, I was like, who gives a shit how long this takes? Yeah. Yeah. I'm enjoying time with him. If he wants to pick up every single leaf in the forest, what do I care? He is the the epitome of Stillness is the Key. He's He's like, just... Observing everything around him appreciating all that he has and not letting anything else infiltrate his his curious mind right now. So like we probably covered <laughs> like 40 feet inside of like an hour and I didn't give a shit either. I was like this is this is what it is all about like you have to have these moments to appreciate things and to stop. I'm always rushing because there's always another thing yeah. to go do and that it has to get done that I have to be here for that thing. or And so now I try to carve out these moments where I can be still. And a lot of times it, it ends up being hunting because it forces you to be still. especially yeah. with whitetail. It's your, your, your am, you're ambush hunting, you're sitting waiting for them to show up. And so you have no other choice, but to be still. And it's those moments in life when like I have the most clarity uh, around anything I'm trying to problem solve around or making this decisions or just, just level setting and let my batteries go back to neutral for a change because the technology and all the lights and all the traffic and all the stuff it. I think it does wear down on your senses and it like it's not all bad, but it can't be all great. Like it's really yeah. cleansing yeah. to be outside.
1: I agree. And I'm very fortunate because I had to manufacture a situation where I had access to that. Like I was so far down the path of busyness and living uh quote, model 21st century lifestyle that I had to move to the middle of nowhere where I walk out my front door and there's no cell phone service, right? So I had to manufacture those situations and now I get them all the time and it's a lot easier for me to jump back into that stillness because it's that whole idea of a monkey mind, right? Like if you meditate and you've never meditated before, it's very hard to kind of still the mind, right? The more you do it, the easier it is there are situations where it's easier to still the mind, like maybe hunting, maybe sitting in a tree, maybe, you know, being in a place where you don't have distractions. And that's what it took for me to kind of re level set and realize that a lot of what we're, a lot of what is pushed on us is right and necessary is not. And I just had to expose myself to that and the consequences that come with it in the, fullest way and i think that's just a personality quirk of mine like I have, I have to do it otherwise i will i will find a way to distract myself and it's not healthy but you know I'm, i've been working on it and it's an ever evolving work in progress it's a human
0: condition thing that's why there's a book that speaks to millions of people that they all resonate with when they talk about stillness being the, the key necessarily but like can't even sit in a car for five minutes in silence like we got to have something distracting us from our own selves it's really strange um yeah. yeah but i guess i don't know let's switch up a little bit and talk about some of your trapping experiences i mean the first one that you wrote on book i think is a fascinating story i'm sure there's plenty more that i've never heard about that might be more interesting now based on the time that was published
1: yeah yeah I mean, well there's been a lot that's come out since the book right i mean you're i'm running trap lines all the time i mean wolves are cool right i mean that's a big problem out here in idaho there's a whole hullabaloo about them releasing them in colorado yeah. Folks listening to the OKS Trapper podcast will inevitably hear a lot of conversations around wolf trapping and the conservation aspect of it and, you know, the pros and the cons, all that great stuff. But I have fallen in love with water trapping, um, beaver, otter, muskrat, the whole lot. And part of that is the nostalgia, right? Like I live on the middle fork of the Boise River, the headwaters, so, you know, not far out my door, I can be in the water, and we have an abundance of beaver. In fact, Atlanta, um, Idaho, I was the highway commissioner for two years, and there were times where nobody was trapping, and beavers would build dams, flood the road, caused millions of dollars of damage, and you know, as a small office, we didn't really have money to fix it, so it causes a lot of problems. So it gave me reason to go and trap, but one of the coolest experiences I've ever had and this is the first well I'll tell the story and then maybe people can put the pieces together a little bit but I knew where beavers were and I knew this problem area where they were about to flood the road so I worked with Idaho Fish and Game and I had a kill permit to be able to take these beaver out of the specific area because prior to as a highway district we had just taken a backhoe all the way down there cleared it out and inevitably you know 2 days later they built it 30 feet upstream or 30 feet downstream, you know, beavers are very resourceful. So I was heading out of Atlanta to go to Boise for something, probably a doctor's appointment and you know, three, 4.00 AM. I was planning to set some traps on my way out. And so I pull up to where this dam had just been rebuilt and my headlights are on the water and I see eyes. I'm like, Oh, (laughs) cool. There's a beaver right there. That's, you know, it's really cool when you actually get to see him in real life. So I get out of the truck and I walk up on this mound to look into the water and this beaver swims right up to me and like lifts his head out of the water, which is really strange for a beaver to do. I'm like, I've never seen that. Like this beaver's fearless. And I'm like, all right, well, he'll go back and do his, you know, their bank den or wherever he's at, and I'll go put my waders on. So, you know, it's five degrees. i go put my waders on, grab my conner bears and my foothold traps that I'm about to set. And I wade into this chest deep water, which is kind of on the backside of the dam because i was going to do a, a dam break set. And for those who beaver trap, beavers love their dams. And one surefire way to get them to come to something is to break their dam because they're going to come rebuild it. And I'm sitting in this water or standing in this water rather. And all of a sudden, I feel something felt my chest. And I was like, that's weird. And I looked down and I had a headlamp on because it's dark outside and this beaver is swimming all around me like at lightning speed and i'm like i had no idea beaver were this fast in the water and you know beaver can get to 60 70 100 pounds where we're
0: at big i i i've seen a picture so i'm like that's huge it's like bigger than my dog what's going on i never pictured a beaver to be that large before so yeah
1: Okay. Nor had I, but you know, they, they can be huge. And this one didn't seem too big. I'm like, I don't know if it's just like a, a silly juvenile or a kit, whatever it is. And it's swimming around me. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. And I ignored it. I was like, it'll go away. It kind of splashed the water and uh, ended up making my sets. Um, and thankfully this was during the actual beaver season. Um, and beaver season happens to overrun otter season and my unit. So I came back the next day and in my, on my drowning wire, I had this beautiful, like 33 pound, uh, otter that was ended up being stretched five and a half feet from nose to tail. And what had happened and I hadn't known it was that was an otter, you know, these kind of playful, super fast swimming animals that I was actually in the water with, which I'm really glad it didn't attack me, but you know, it, it was playful and it was going around and it was just getting to interact with that was one of the coolest things that I've ever experienced on my trap line, even though I didn't know what it was at the time.
0: There has been a weird number of otter attacks. (laughs) so You you wouldn't consider it. My kids watch that uh, Zootopia and the otter attacks and they're like an otter, a cute little otter. I'm like, wow, that's really come to fruition in the real life. (laughs) The hell's going on. Yeah, All
1: all those recent ones lately have been a little bizarre. But uh, I mean, their nickname are river wolves. Right. And when you do skin one and pull one out, like yeah. you look at the teeth, the structure, they do kind of look like little wolves with short feet. It's like a dachshund almost, but uh, you know, but that swims and is violent. And for us in Atlanta too, you know, on the river at the beginning of our little t- a fish ladder, right. We have a little t- like dam for us to do some co-opt electric, for the town and they'll just sit at the bottom of that fish ladder and just gorge themselves. So, you know, there are some elements of like conservation control for both the fish and the otters. And, you know, you can go down a rabbit hole of all the different conservation aspects of trapping, but you know, it's, it's an interesting critter and it's a really cool one to kind of interact with.
0: I've only seen otters in in the wild once. And I was on a river float, which much is like how they came to attack someone. But they're just running around on, on land, and I happen to catch a glimpse of them. And I was like, "Holy shit, otters!" I was freaking out. I was yeah. freaking out. Everyone's like, "What are you freaking out about?" And uh, it's like, "There's otters." I've, I've just never seen an otter in the wild. And my buddy Greg, who does the show with us, he's gotten otters on his trail cam, Um, like a group of them. And I'm like, "How freaking cool!" It's just so some seeing certain wildlife like that like that is really fascinating. I think because unless you've I feel like most people have seen a lot of us have wildlife at a zoo, but that's probably about it or on Nat Geo or something. Um, otherwise you maybe you see a skunk or you smell one, or you've seen deer in a field or squirrels run around or bunnies. But other than that, like, I don't, I've never seen a wolf in the wild. I've seen, um, I think my dad and I've come across their tracks in the, the Nicolay, uh Shimonaga Nicolay National Forest in Northern Wisconsin. I think they're maybe around up there uh, more so now, probably than when I was up there um, over 10 years ago. But, bear. I think my dad's been treed by bear before so I, when you say there's all these animals and you're really kind of back in it like you, yeah you're you're not the only predator out there I mean I know they're they're not chasing you down per se they're they're likely more scared and res- reserved but like if you come up one in the wrong way it could get weird you know
1: well you know as, as an example you know we have about five wolf packs that run our unit and around our area and you know it's probably too long of a conversation. Like I said, on the OKS trapper, we'll cover it in depth over time. But the wolf population in Idaho is way above the carrying capacity. And you know, you can see it in the undulate population. And I went out to an area where most wolf packs are on like a 25, 30-day cycle where I ran into the same pack within a seven-day time frame. And even the other night, my wife was putting our daughter we have a split level cabin and there's no inside access so our daughter and son sleep downstairs we sleep upstairs so she put our kids to bed at like 8 p.m she was coming upstairs back outside and i was upstairs doing something and she kind of pulled me out she's like zach zach and i came outside and a frequent occurrence you just listen and you just hear wolves howling doing their roundup call you know within a mile of our house and they're out there and you see tracks all the time. And it's always impressive because we have a 130 pound Kane Corso and a Shih Tzu. Those are our two guard dogs.
0: We have senior dog and, online. Those are big dogs.
1: Oh yeah. Big dogs. Um, they, you know, They were the Roman dogs of war. And, you know, honestly, I would take the Shih Tzu over the Kane Corso. If it were like in a fight to the death, like the Shih Tzu would probably do better against a mountain lion than the big dog, but Nonetheless, his paw prints are huge, like in the snow. And it's always impressive when I see his paw prints. But then you go out in the wilderness or not far from town and you see wolf tracks. And they don't dwarf his paw prints, but they're still noticeably bigger. And you're like, wow, these are humongous animals that are just out there roaming and eating and, you know, pushing game around. And it's, it's pretty cool. Like you were... Is- alluding to.
0: I think there's a level of eeriness to it. I, I went, uh, my wife and I are camping up north. Uh, on uh, My, my aunt and uncle have a property that they have a camper and they're like, Do you want to sleep in the camper? I'm like, "No, we're going to pop up a tent. I think it's just cooler. We're out here. Like, let's just hang up a tent here and no big deal. And there were wolves howling. My wife's like freaking out and, uh, howling, howling. Let me back up. I don't, there's two different times we heard wolves howling when we are camping. That was one of them. A different one was there was a bunch of coyotes yipping off, and then a wolf howled, and the coyotes shut up. And I was like, "Whoa, yep. whoa, <laughs> that was really cool." But I was like, I was obsessed with wolves as a child. Like I, I think I read every book that existed on wolves. I knew weird things like their their fur is hollow, like they their speed they can run. Their are they have like a they have a thumb. They they the only canine that can actually grab their prey like a cat can. um mm-hmm. Their do claws, like a, a digit that works. They're they eat bone. So like people are like, oh, pit bulls have this grip I'm like, well, I don't last time I checked a pit is not a pit bull is not eating a fucking bone to get the yeah, yeah. to get the bone marrow out for the you know for their protein and like just really interesting creatures. I could understand like, yeah, five packs. Packs are large, like packs get up to like what twelve or more in some cases, right? Like
1: yeah, you know, yeah it, it depends. I mean, they're there, there packs with five in them, yeah. but you know i Last night I had another person who's a wolf trapping expert on the show and she was telling me like the gestation period, like it, wolves are still dogs. Like mm-hmm. people see like three in a litter, but they could have seven or nine. You know, it, it really is variable. So these packs grow, some are small, some are big. Um, it just, but just there's
0: five around you that could be somewhere from five to 10 ish that's an eerie feeling when you're out there, you know? And if if you ever catch, like, catch a glimpse of one, it would probably get your heart pumping a little bit. Oh, yeah. And, there, yeah. You see one, there's more, and it's like, well, shit, where are they? You know?
1: Yeah, and, and immensely smart. And all these animals and critters are way smarter than me, which is always the biggest eerie factor. But I'd love to hear from you, too. Like, for those who've never heard a wolf howl, like, within a mile or two of them, it is a... I don't want to oversell it and say that it's a life changing experience, but I like you. I was always obsessed with wolves as a kid. You know, reading Call of the Wild, all that stuff. Wild
0: white Fang. All the, all the, yeah, Jack Jack London. Is it Jack London? I think. Yep.
1: Yeah. And and what was that feeling? Because the first time I heard it in the woods was the first time I was ever elk hunting, and out west, and I heard a wolf. And like you said, you hear coyotes, you're like, wow, that kind of sounds like a wolf. Maybe that's a wolf. And then you hear a wolf, and it's like zero question, and you. For me, like every time it's like the hair raises on the back of your neck, like you can't not get overwhelmed with like this. I don't know, like innate human nature of like fear, You're like that is impressive <laughs> and, and scary. It's
0: rare for us to be at the apex of the food chain to feel like we've been been knocked out a peg. And I think that's what happens. Yeah. You hear that and you're like, oh, shit. Like, it's not just me out here that can do things. It's this other thing out here. And it, there's many, it's, it really is. It's a very, it, it creeps into your soul a little bit. And, and not in a good or bad. It's just in, in a way, I, it's indescribable, like you said, unless you've experienced it, it's really interesting. But when you're that deep in the in the, I don't know, in the wilderness, like it's, that's a whole different thing, because things can go sideways quick, like, maybe they're not gonna they're not gonna come out and get you or anything like that. That, that would never be a fear of mine, other than like, if I freaking break my leg, and I'm stuck out here. Now we have a problem. You know, it's it's the we, a friend of mine, kind of friend, uh, Christian Schauf with Uncharted Supply. He's been on the show and on the show he talked. He his his company is like they create bug out bags and first aid kits that are pretty robust. And he's like, mm-hmm. it's not the big disaster that like our kids going to save you from. It's the blister that's going to turn into a mega problem if you don't treat it. And it's like these little things that can exacerbate and create these huge ripples that will then cascade into big problems. And it's things like that when you're in an extreme situation that can get out of hand quickly because, you know, it could be really cold out a blizzard could be coming like you could get lost or turned around and suddenly now like what was a little problem has become a really big problem so the the story you shared in, in your book where you got your hand caught in the traffic like thinking through, then it suddenly becomes very important like what is my next step going to be because it's very important I play it out correctly, or it could be yeah. bad. Yeah, I, mean, the, I think problem.
1: the, the nexus of that was living the white picket fence life, always having that kind of inner dissatisfaction with what that was actually like, led me down a path of fabricating hardship, right? To feel and whether that was jujitsu or running ultra marathons or doing any of the things that I used to do, it was all an attempt to manufacture that but i could always tap out i could always quit a race and i think what i was always pining for was that feeling an you know experience that our forefathers and the people who founded the west had which is real consequence for action like you said like you have to be prepared you have to know or at least have the fortitude to figure out what the right next step is because you know hand caught in a trap and a storm's coming or anything like that like or you roll your ankle and there's a wolf pack around you like your next decision really actually have an impact like hopefully you never actually see the negative side of that which might be death but backing yourself up against that corner at least for me was you know empowering to kind of really have consequence for my actions and and feel
0: yeah i think we adversity creates character um and there's all these quotes about like you know hard times you know make make easy you know weak men weak men create hard times like cyclical and yep. so there's this yearning and but the the book into the wild uh the famous story of christopher mckendall's uh, you know who deemed himself super alex super tramp was like it's important to test yourself at least once in life and there's a way we- so, I, I love when I was. I mean, I'm 30, gonna be 38 now. I'm a dad, it's like a little bit different. When I was young, I was constantly testing myself. Maybe you're right, maybe I was manufacturing things, I was skydiving, I was doing all sorts of cliff jumping and weird shit. And for <laughs> one time, this was not a test, this was not me trying to do something stupid or exciting. I just was dumb and didn't realize that I was in Oregon and I was just chilling on these rocks at Cannon Beach. And I didn't, I've never been to the ocean, I didn't know. I, of course, I've heard about tide. I understand what tides are. I'd never mm-hmm. experienced it. And it came in so fast that I almost had a really serious problem. Mm-hmm. Like, I was far enough out over all these pretty dangerous rocks and the water levels were rising at a rate that I was not anticipating or expecting that I almost didn't get out. And it was yeah. like I was getting thrashed around. And I was like, holy shit. And that was a moment of like pure. Now all cylinders were firing. Every muscle fiber was gripping. And I was like, it, it hit me that this is now dangerous and then you go into this fight or flight or you know what have you and uh it's rare that we get into situations like that in modern society a car crash or something like that uh, you know where you don't realize like oh the roads are more slippery than i thought in the snowstorm whoops here i go but cars are safe (laughs) like by and large you know i don't know it's it's uh so i think when we talk about trapping there's so much more that that goes into it than the trapping of an animal much like hunting is more than the killing of, of, uh, whatever you're after. It's, it's everything else. And not everyone is is out West doing it how you're doing it. There's people here in Wisconsin trapping muskrat in some swamp, but like if that bog moves or you step in the wrong mud hole, like you could be in a, you could have yourself a problem, you know?
1: Oh yeah. Or approach the animal that's in your trap the wrong way. I mean, you talk about beaver, talk about muskrat, like they're mean critters. You can, you can get bit in, real quick and you know i caught an otter the other week that was in a live trap and i had to wrestle it with my catch pole and that was the strongest animal i've ever felt on the other end of a stick you know it's just impressive the power that a lot of these animals have but you know, that's why i'm excited about the okayest trapper because you mentioned at the beginning you know not only the input of what it takes to trap but there's a lot of regulation. There's a lot of laws. There's laws and regulation that differ between species and between states. And you know, you can catch bobcat in one way in one state and not in the other. And that can be very overwhelming. It was overwhelming for me when I first got into it. It's like, okay, what am I targeting? What are the rules? A lot of the rules are kind of nebulous and like left to interpretation. And if you're like me, who's later in life to hunting, you didn't grow up around it. I'm kind of like a letter of the law kind of guy, like I'd like to be more spirit of the law, but I am definitely letter of the law and like, I want to know black and white what I'm supposed to do. And oftentimes that's not really available um, clearly. So I'm hoping that this podcast, having experts on having other people who are novices on talking about their failures, talking about um, know, some of the troubles that they've had will at least open the door for more people to maybe explore trapping. Like one of my good friends, um, who's from soul seekers also on carbon TV, you know, he messaged me the other day and he was trying to target a bobcat, John, and he didn't get a bobcat, but he got a skunk and it was his first animal trapping. He's like, I feel amazing. Like this is the coolest thing ever. You know, I sent him videos on how to put a skunk out that was going to keep it from spraying and, you know, he skinned it out now he's going to tan it and he's hooked. And I hope more people kind of get into that to realize this is another avenue that's often open year round for you to kind of continue to sharpen your skills or explore the outdoors in a different way
0: yeah i, I there's definitely a lot of interest in it I'm ho- i I I do believe when you look at the numbers like the the first episode did really really well uh, like we mentioned before I hit record and so there's there's a I think there's a pretty big appetite for a, a to quench the thirst of the knowledge of learning about this even if it, it's like kind of the narrative of like oh if i learn about this will make me a better hunter or maybe i'm curious or i want to go back in time and hear about some of these stories and even if like there could be historical episodes about theodore roosevelt or whoever you know the people that helped build this country and, and live that life and founded all these things like it, it's like beavers built the country off that there's an economic boom around beaver pelts like it, it's all really really cool um i'm very excited to have you on the, on the, I'm calling it a family of podcasts or an, an interchangeably a network. Um, but I really do think it's a family of podcast because I, I know every host pretty damn well. And if I don't, I'm getting to know them well and they know each other. And the, the more we're doing this, like you might talk to Paul Campbell, because he's doing all this history of the, of the Turkey throughout the, the, you know, duration of our country and how like the Osceola Turkey is named after a general from Florida or whatever, like really cool things. Um, so yeah, I just—I don't know. I feel like I'm trying to sum up that I'm excited. I don't even know what the hell I'm—I'm I'm saying here. Again, I'm off my. Clothes. Well, I'm excited too. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm really—it's freaking cool that you that you've done what people, I think, romanticize about and want to do. You've done it. That in and of itself is interesting. Then you throw in the, the trapping stuff, and then you're talking to these other experts that are doing it. You do have an okay mindset about things, and you've had some some hangups. So I think that approach is good because. If you're going to try something new, you have to be like, I don't know, vulnerable is the right word, but like, you have to be willing to know that you're going to make mistakes, like that's how you're going to get there. And if you're not willing to make mistakes, then you're probably not going to learn anything new. Like you can't just stay, I mean, you could, you ought not to just stay exactly where you are, because you don't want to look stupid, you have to be comfortable with willing to look stupid. And stupid might be too strong of a word, but it's okay.
1: Not for me. That, that's my moniker. Yeah, <laughs> it's. It, and I agree with you, and I think that yeah, you know, we talked about the fear of regulation, the fear of learning the law to figure out how to do it in the first place. But then we live in a world where there's judgment, right? If you're putting, especially if you put yourself out on social media, yeah. you know, you have every Tom, Dick, and Harry with an opinion, good or bad, and it, it takes a toll, no matter what. But if you can go in with the mindset of like, those are just people, and the ether. And I'm here to do this one thing. And I accept the fact that I'm probably going to screw up along the way. You know, it is net positive. And what I will say and being an adult onset hunter an adult onset trapper, the community in the trapping world, and not to knock the hunting world has been way more open armed to new folks in my experience because fur- i've been it's on both so sides it's so
0: much further down the progression of like it's where hunting could end up and i don't mean that in a negative way but like there, are hunting is a very small subset of the overall population mm-hmm. oh hunters are a smaller subset of the hunting population trad bows are smaller trapping is a super small subset of all of those things it's just so much further along so i think it's almost like i, I it's always funny what I'm going to say on a public forum. <laughs> but like it's like you go to the Catholic church and there's like all these old people in the pews and they're just so excited they're shaking your hand. It's so good to see you young folks here. We need mm-hmm. you to keep our church here because like no new people are coming into it. So yep. the mindset being further down is like yes, I would love to teach you. Like you're going to make mistakes. I was there. Hunting is still not to that point and I don't know that it needs to get to that point. I'm not saying it sounds like I'm saying this in a bad way. I'm trying to I struggle to explain things or articulate, but it seems as though it is an older way of life. It's it it is something that could like have some revitalization and, and therefore the the perception is very different coming from someone that's in it more so, right? Maybe that's where think, the open arms are coming from.
1: Yeah. And I think the articulation you actually made is very on point. And I think folks, whether they decide to get into trapping or not, at minimum should join their state's trapping association because trapping is kind of that last bastion of a way of life that is at risk and for instance new mexico banned trapping i think two years ago now and like there are other states who are now kind of you know ignoring science ignoring the conservation aspects of trapping and being reactionary to videos or social media and saying nope, trapping bad and blocking it and that's the fear because it's kind of like a little domino effect like obviously us in the trapping community are doing our best to fight that in an appropriate way that is based in science statistic etc and do that but hunters need to keep a quick and close eye on what's going on in the yeah, trapping world yes they're trappers because it could do the same thing and so it's
0: because it's been around longer to some degree or there's more history. Uh, the, the lineage is longer. So it's further down the line. It's on the same linear path as hunting to some degree. They're just trapping us further ahead because it's had more runway is how I'm, I I'm still not positive. I'm articulating this the way that I intend to, but um, you know, in, in the polls, hunters lose every day mm-hmm. trappers. I feel like it could be like stepping on an ant in comparison to fighting Uh, an otter (laughs) if you're the you know, the voting community and and I don't I actually wonder if that could be not a bad thing because it's like it's so insignificant like I just let the people trap it's not causing anything but there's got to be there's already a really slanted purview of hunting and we talk about this on the show and we've it's obviously no whole other topic but like how people present themselves on social media has an impact because it's not that we care about the antis you're not going to convince those folks to become for hunting or pro hunting or pro trapping it's the middle that you're going to convert to to anti's, rather than inviting in, and trapping. I feel like because it's so ancient in a modern perspective, that it probably is like ooh trapping bad ban it. Like yeah, I think there's got to be all sorts of I can't I don't even know what the public perception of trapping is other than like I don't know if it's viewed as worse or better than hunting. It's definitely a, a topic that I think would be worth exploring. Um, I think it's one that I'm really enthused about but I'm also like in, I'm closer to the category, you know?
1: Yeah. And we will, because it is interesting. And there's a lot of groups and like, one of the things that I've done this year, which is really interesting. And I'm actually going to have this gentleman on the podcast. He leads up, you know, U S wildlife fish and wildlife, which is a DC based um, association. And they do what they call BMP trapping, which is best management practices. And so since like 94, they've, funded all these studies of different types of traps to help in the lobby for trappers rights. Meaning every year, like a Midwestern coyote trapper, they might say, Hey, we want to check the efficacy of this foothold trap. So we're going to ask that you go out and you foothold trap these coyotes. And essentially you send them to us at a lab and we're going to check the injury rate. So you'll scientifically log where it was, the time the animal was in the trap and then you'll have a scientist kind of measure the injury essentially to that area to say, okay, had this animal been a non-target species or had this animal been released, would it have survived? And the answer almost always is, yeah, it would have been absolutely fine. Um,
0: The animals get clobbered by cars and do flips and they get up and walk away. Yeah, I'm not saying they survive because I don't know, but like their animals are tough.
1: Yeah, they are. (laughs) But we're doing that stuff. So like right now I'm doing a survey with Pine Martin where I'm live trapping them and, you know, doing a similar thing, live trapping, dispatching. There's a co-fund where I'm actually sending the tongues to a university in Montana PhD study. I'm swabbing them for COVID for a CDC study on COVID in predators. And there's a lot of science that's going behind all of this to say, hey, you know, People have a reaction that says this is unethical or you know it's it's torture or it's cruelty. And the reality is it's not. And that's what we're trying to build up. And I know honey's in the same boat. And like you mentioned, a lot of it has to do with storytelling. And all of us, whether hunters, trappers, you know, everybody probably needs to up-level their storytelling game to kind of help lean that middle of the pack over to, oh yeah, this is actually a, an ethical positive thing that we're doing across the board versus the opposite view
0: yeah i think you said that perfectly brad luttrell with uh go wild and holler commerce was recently yeah. on the Hunt yeah. podcast and he's like hunting doesn't have a social media problem hunting has a storytelling problem
1: that's exactly where i just hijacked that from by the way so shout <laughs> out
0: to him <laughs> like, he's he's amazing I, I i love listening to how he argues points because he does come from data and you know his platform is interesting because like well you're a social media platform isn't that bad well no but there's no Non hunters on the platform, so it's a it's one big echo chamber. Like you can post gripping and grips, and it's you're not going to get that that off you know kilter approach from someone that doesn't understand it. Like there's a lot of context in that community. It's really interesting. We we've been a partner of Go Wilds for the last year and um, friends with those guys for several years. And uh, Brad's great, and I really like that that positioning. And I think it's true. I don't think you're going to get a whole community to be better at storytelling, but it's good to think about storytelling's hard. Fact that you wrote yeah. a book it's hard like i can't finish a sentence while i'm talking to you let alone i'm writing something like i know there should be a beginning a middle and end but i'm like beginning and then i start over here and i'm eating cake i'm like what how did that get into the story like, it doesn't make any sense i can't finish a thought half the time so yeah it's just interesting
1: you and me both man but you know we're on the path and you know i hope folks who have a, a latent interest in trapping or you know some of the history and just modern reflections on what it means to be a trapper enjoy it and you know the the crossover between hunting i hope is large and i hope we can pull some folks to give it a try too and go to their local uh hopefully not shut down mom and pop store like you but like here in idaho we have the best store on the face of the earth which is called rocky mountain fireworks and fur you can go and buy all your fireworks and all your fur trapping equipment and lures that you want in the world so you know hopefully people will go find those shops and go pick up a trap or two and give it a whirl
0: yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, for tuning in, and obviously this is broadcast live, but was re- it's not running live? But I'm saying that, but uh, same thing for the following week. I'll find another guest to bring on and record ahead of time. Greg and Derek talked about doing a studio takeover. I don't know if I trust them with all this equipment in here to do it correctly, so we'll see what we come up with. But um, if you haven't already, go onto the uh, go onto Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your Apple podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Check out the OKS Trapper. And think if you're on Spotify or Apple, anytime you're listening to one of any of the podcasts on the network, you should be able to see all of the other ones in the same lineup of recommendations. So uh, explore the network and see the other ones that we have on there. And and let's welcome our our, our new host Zach to the to the family. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, man, appreciate you having me on.